Welcome to Indigenising Curriculum in Practice with Professor Tracy Bunder and Dr Caitlin Barney. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy Bunder and welcome to our podcast series, Indigenising Curriculum in Practice. I'm a Noogie Waka Waka woman and the Professor of Indigenous Education at the University of Queensland. It has been my responsibility to lead indigenisation of the curriculum as a key activity of the UQ Reconciliation Action Plan. I'd like to start the podcast by acknowledging country and the various countries from where our listeners are located and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the ongoing contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to society at local, national and international levels. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Dr Caitlin Barney. Hi everyone, I'm Caitlin. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands where we're recording and pay my respects to the ancestors and their descendants. I also want to acknowledge that we're recording this podcast on Aboriginal land and it has always been a place of learning and teaching. I'm a non-Indigenous woman born and raised on Jagger and Turrbal country. And in this series, Tracy and I are interviewing Indigenous and non-Indigenous academics about how they're indigenising curriculum through a look at case studies from across the faculties at the University of Queensland. Our theme for the podcast is based on the principle of cultural capability. And our guests today are James Blackwell from the ANU College of Asia and the Pacific and Professor Kath Gelber and Associate Professor Morgan Brigg from the School of Political Science and International Studies at the University of Queensland. Welcome. It's really great to have you all here today. Can I ask you to introduce yourselves in whatever way you feel comfortable? Firstly, thank you, Tracy and Caitlin, for having me. So I'm James Blackwell. I'm a Wiradjuri man. I'm currently based at ANU College of Asia in the Pacific here in Canberra. My research looks at Indigenous diplomacy and how Indigenous peoples conceptualise issues within international relations. Uh, and I'm a former colleague of both Kath and Morgan uh, up to about 2020. So I'm Kath Gelber. I'm the head of the School of Political Science and International Studies at the University of Queensland. And thank you for having me. Thanks very much for having me. I'm a whitefella or a migloo or a dugai whatever term you would like to use. And I was brought up in central Queensland on the lands of Durrambul people towards the Gungaloo side. I'm now an associate professor in political science with Kath in Kath's school, uh, where I work on creating an exchange between Indigenous and Western political philosophies and systems. As part of the school's Reconciliation Action Plan implementation plan, the School of Political Science and International Studies developed a tip sheet for incorporating Indigenous scholarship. Can you talk a bit about the process of putting that tip sheet together? Back in 2019, 2020, the school was tasked, as all the, other, as all the schools were, uh, tasked with responding to UQ's Reconciliation Action Plan, or RAP. Uh, and as part of that, we kind of were, look, we're looking at what the school specifically can do with regards to the kind of the overall RAP's goals and the kind of specific areas it tasks uh, schools to work on. And one of the things that we kind of came, came together with, we wanted to have more Indigenous content, more Indigenous scholarship um, within the school's curriculum and kind of within the school's kind of teaching programs. And so we developed this idea of we're going to develop some kind of curriculum guide for both the kinds of things staff can, should, can and should be putting in their, in their coursework, but also how they can go about doing that. 
for us, for Kat, Morgan, myself, and others who worked on this, I think the concern we had was that what if staff would find it too difficult or make issue with the fact that, oh, you know, they've not done this before, like they don't really know what to do. So the idea of a tip sheet and kind of a guide to this work was to kind of give them that kind of assistance, that kind of jump into into this work of curriculum development, curriculum redesign, specifically about Indigenous peoples, help them along the process, because it can be somewhat of a difficult process or a kind of complex process if you're new to it. So we kind of felt with the idea of a tip sheet to give staff a starting point from which to kind of delve into the work. And I think that work has been exemplar for other parts of the university as well. One of the design principles developed as part of the UQ Indigenising curriculum is cultural capability. Would you mind to talk to us about how this work has the potential to build cultural capability of non-Indigenous staff? So like James said, the purpose of the tip sheet was to help staff into an area that they might find challenging. And when we were having conversations in the school about this, we had people express views including that they didn't know how to do it, that they were a bit reticent or scared about what this might do in the classroom and they weren't sure how to handle those conversations or even that they weren't really sure how Indigenous perspectives fitted into their branch of the discipline. And so we wanted to provide them with a mechanism that we, with a bit more confidence about how to approach this. We wanted to encourage them to do it and give them a bit more confidence and an ability, sort of some tips and some hints about how to think about what they were doing. Because, you know, increasing the number of, for example, the number of readings written by Indigenous authors is a good thing to do. But we wanted to do more deep work than that. We wanted people to think about the concepts and ideas. We're a political science department. We deal a lot in ideas and concepts. And a lot of those ideas and concepts are all are discussed in Indigenous ways of knowing in ways that many of our staff are not aware of. And we thought that could bring a richness to the curriculum. So we really wanted to help people to do that. And I think the grounded genesis of the materials that ended up appearing in the tip sheet is really important here. In fact, it was at one of our teaching retreats, I forget the year exactly, where we were discussing incorporating Indigenous perspectives and content into our perspectives that some of our colleagues addressed some of their concerns, their nervousness about doing this sort of work. And as a flow-on piece of work after that teaching retreat, Alyssa McCoon, Dr. Alyssa McCoon and I, assembled the range of concerns that staff had and then provided a range of responses to that, answering and directly grappling with their concerns. And I think that grounded basis for this work is one of the reasons it's been received so well by a range of colleagues. Yeah, I really like within the tip sheet that um, you have tips for non-Indigenous academics to acknowledge and address your own assumptions. And as you guys have talked about, you know, non-Indigenous academics can feel uncomfortable about engaging with the content. Can you talk a bit about this and the ways forward you think for non-Indigenous staff to engage with Indigenous scholarship and also redesign curriculum? As an Indigenous person working with non-Indigenous colleagues, you know, in the discipline. I think the main concern you get is kind of around their discomfort, and that is the kind of claim, the, the main concern in various different forms. I think for me, it's about them embracing that discomfort, you know, kind of owning that a little bit and going, it is going to be a bit uncomfortable. This is new work for you. This is a new area in which you're kind of delving into in your classroom and potentially, hopefully, your research practice as well. 
but it's about acknowledging that in an authentic and genuine way with a desire to do better and a desire to improve both what you're teaching the students, but also how you're teaching the students. You know, we're in Australia, we're on a continent that is so on land, no matter where you are on the continent. We have a rich indigenous history that predates you know, the white discipline of international relations or political science, both here in Australia and globally. You know, it's important that we acknowledge that when we're teaching our, our discipline as political scientists, as international relations scholars, that we actually include and incorporate the knowledges and the perspectives that indigenous peoples around the country have, have had and have, you know, and, and maintain on these issues. The way forward is kind of acknowledging that discomfort, acknowledging that it's going to be difficult. So I say often to colleagues when they kind of we have these discussions, even here at the ANU, you are going to fuck up. It will happen, and that's fine. It's not the end of the world. You're going to make these mistakes. But for a lot of students, it's about being authentic and being genuine in this work and acknowledging that you come from a position of privilege. And again, all these things are in the tip sheet, in fact. You know, there's kind of a lot of detail in the responses generated by Morgan and Alyssa and even Liz, Liz Strakosh and kind of the work that's in there. But helping staff go through that kind of uncomfortableness and that kind of discomfort that they feel internally. I think that's that's the important thing is not only to just owning owning that discomfort a bit. Just building on what James said there, I think a lot of academics feel an expectation that they must speak with authority in their discipline area and they feel that expectation. Sometimes that's very internalized into their own identity, their own sense of self and their own sense of worth. In terms of engaging with Indigenous knowledge and perspectives, part of what I and a lot of colleagues would say is that this, in fact, is is part of the problem. And in fact, if we're able to be a little bit more open to the fact that knowledge is not produced entirely by a sovereign and self-sufficient and fully authorized self, but it's always a collective and relational exercise, which has all sorts of contingencies and mistakes and so on, as James is pointing about. If we let go of some of those dominant ways we think about what an academic is and what authoritative knowledge is, there's pathways to open to engagement with Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous peoples. Curriculum development takes time, as we all know, and there are many challenges in doing this work. What other resources and support do you suggest for academics to assist them in indigenizing curriculum to make a culturally safe classroom? I'd like to give, I guess, a little bit of an oblique answer to that, to say, of course, there's a, there's a technical exercise here. There's a technical work of working with literature and materials that academics work with all the time. But in Australia, we are blessed with an incredible production by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of all sorts of novels and artwork and other types of materials. And I think if academics engage with some of these materials that they don't normally engage with in their normal everyday academic life, they'll get exposed to insights and perspectives which will allow to in a sense, feel their way into these issues. And if they begin to feel their way into these issues and connect more deeply with what's at stake, well, then that's the key uh, resource that they need to create a, a culturally safe classroom. Yeah, I'd also add that we uh, encourage our staff to make use of the very wide range of resources that's already available, right? So they don't need to start from scratch. There are 
the University of Queensland Library has some really excellent resources, but also to other organisations around the country. And so there are a lot of resources already available that people aren't making as best use of as they can. So we encourage people to make use of those resources. We have part of our website for the, the that's only open to staff. We have um, links to various other resources that people can go to. So the tip sheet's part of a much larger group of activities. And the other thing that we've done is we um, regularly, a couple of times a year, once or twice a year, have conversations, working lunches, where we have conversations about managing the classroom. So we recently had another one on um, equity, diversity and inclusion in the classroom where we talked about universal design learning, uh, making sure that you uh, take into account the diversity of people in the room, making sure that you set clear boundaries to ensure the safety of people in the room, uh, making sure that if those boundaries are violated that you take appropriate action around that, um, around respecting one another in the classroom and so on. So we try to kind of do continuous um, I mean obviously nothing's perfect but we just try to provide a range of different resources for staff to increase their confidence in tackling these kind of issues in the classroom so that for students and for staff it's safe. On all those points Morgan and Kath made it quite good. I think the other thing is kind of the elephant in the room perhaps is financial resourcing you know the school in developing this did put a bit of money behind it um, in terms of paying someone to do it, that was that was myself. Other schools I know have done similar work, and again they've had they've put some money behind people developing these resources. That that does it doesn't take a lot of money. You know, we're not, not talking millions of dollars. Sometimes require a bit of financial incentive to kind of get some of the stuff off the ground, and even if not financial incentive, time. I think that was a thing we heard back in. 2019, 2020, it's the same now, is staff are very busy. Staff are overworked, often underpaid. You know, we're doing a lot of things all at once. The school and schools around the country, I think, need to set aside some time for this and, and I think show that it's a priority. You know, we had a number of teaching retreats and a number of staff workshops on this on this project when I was at UQ. And at the ANU, we have regular staff forum, staff workshops, again, on this on this issue. So I think that's also another, another way in which we can support Staff by showing them this is a, is a priority. It's something the school, our students, and the discipline needs us to be doing. And so, where, where we can make time and financial contributions, you know, we need to be doing that because that kind of sets the tone, I think, for staff working on this. Going, oh look, the school is actually telling us we need to do this, and they're showing us that there's time set aside. Potentially, there's a small budget set aside for for development of the work, and that I think is really important because. If we don't show that it's valuable in terms of our resourcing, it's not showing that it's valuable, I think, in terms of the kind of in, in the minds of staff. My last question for today is the podcast is called Indigenizing Curriculum in Practice. What does that mean to you? To me, that means that the practice is ongoing. This work will never be done. We'll never be able to tick a box and say we're done with this. We have new students coming in every year. We have new staff members coming in all the time. We have shifts and changes in the discipline. Uh, and so this work is ongoing. It's a practice. And if we embrace it and keep working with it, then we'll make some progress. And it's also not a a narrow technical practice, as I was trying to highlight before. I think we're engaged in a much larger civic exercise, actually, of finding ways to live responsibly and be responsible on Aboriginal land. James highlighted before that wherever we are on the continent, we're on 
Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander land. And if we do this work, then we do, in, a, in, a, in incremental ways, contribute to making Australia a better country. Indigenous in curriculum and practice. Yeah, I think I agree with what's said, been said before. It is a continual journey. It's not a kind of one and done, you know, we've ticked this and it's done. You know, like even in terms of this tip sheet, you know, we had a lot of UQ staff forwarded around to staff at other universities around the country and it ended up getting a lot of kind of really positive feedback and a lot of requests to actually make it public. So we ended up putting it as a Google Doc that kind of exists in a public way that more more staff can access it. But even then, I've, I know colleagues at other universities that have taken what we've done and just started their own tip sheets for their own universities and are continually updating them. Like, in terms of the scholarship on this list, you know, it's, it's set in 2020. We kind of need to be of an update. But the idea that there's so much new scholarship in the last three years, there's so much, so much new content, new material, new knowledges from Indigenous peoples that's, that has come into the world or has been, you know, been written about in the last three or so years since this was developed. So it really is an ongoing journey about, you know, keeping up to date with what Indigenous people are saying. You know, the idea of a voice to parliament and a referendum, sure, existed three years ago. But would we be talking about actual, like, voting and constitutional change now in 2020? The things that are occurring, the things that are existing, the things that Blackfellas are talking about and writing about and discussing are constantly evolving and constantly being added to. So that really is, for me, it's about making sure that this work is, you know, you're continually addressing it, you know. Classrooms change, like, lists were developed, teaching was done in person. Now a lot of classrooms are hybrid, or, or, or at least during COVID, they were entirely online. So but how do you create a culturally safe classroom when you're all on Zoom and you can't see the students' faces? Like, those questions keep evolving and keep occurring as as circumstances change. So I think I, I'd agree with the past comments that this really is a journey, really is an ongoing thing. You know, our presence on Indigenous land and on stolen land is continual. So our journey through Indigenous and curriculum and culturally safe classrooms should also be continual. Thanks so much, James, Kath and Morgan, for joining us and um, some really insightful discussion around Indigenising curriculum in political science and international studies. And thanks for joining us for this episode of Indigenising Curriculum in Practice. 